Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Amen. Let's give God another hand. Praise for our fathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen, 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 amen. Excited. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And I hope you have a good day. Spoil them real well, just like we do tomorrow. See, it's funny. Moms, y'all get get the love. We'd be like, happy Father's Day, maybe. You know. Mom, it be flowers at the door the night before, the morning. Show us some love, amen. Show us some love, you know. Anyway, anyway, um, I just, I just thought I'd say that, but it's, <laughs> but it's all love. Y'all excited to be here this morning? Y'all excited to be here this morning? Amen. Is that Sarah? Wow. Hi. Hi. I'm gonna embarrass your daughter, hi. She done married off and left us to California. We love you, I just want to say hi. I ain't gonna embarrass you no more. Anyway, let's stand to our feet, dive into these scriptures. Let's dive into the scriptures. We are in 1 Kings 2, one through four. Um, 1 Kings 2, one through four. One, two, three, go. Amen, amen, amen. For the brief time we are together, I'd like to talk about things a king needs to hear. Things a king needs to hear. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you. We honor you. Lord God, for your merciful kindness that knows no end. And God, I pray that you would prep us today with clarity and with poise and with strength to have and be devoted and developed in what is needed uh, to walk in godly manhood. Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. Give us strength today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You need to be seated. Things a king needs to hear. Before I start, I just want to say this. I promised that I would never wear shorts in the pulpit, but I saw it was 90 degrees today in the ministry of three services. And y'all get the good temperature. The temperature's a little bit different up here. So I said, I'll be business casual from my knees up and have on some comfortable shoes on the bottom. So anyway, gotta break. Don't ever say what you never would do. Amen, amen, amen. Um, 
things a king needs to hear, whether you know it or not. We, as God's people, will reign with him. Oh, y'all boring on that. That's exciting. It's exciting because Jesus Christ earned the right to reign. We didn't. And so in light of that reality, we as men and women, sons and daughters of the kingdom are actually going to be real kings and queens. Okay, let me break this down real quick. It's funny how in, the, in, in woke culture, they say every black man and black woman was a king and a queen. Now my problem with that is, is that if all of us was in the same kingdom and all of us were kings and queens, nobody would be ruling anybody. But in biblical reality, biblical awakeness, really all of us are going to reign with God. The Bible says we are even going to judge the angels. As a matter of fact, the de facto sons of God who were over all the nations who went left of God, we will judge them as well. That's, that's unbelievable to me. And we will be, based on our walk with Jesus Christ, given rewards, and some of us will be given sectors of the earth to rule and reign over. See, that, that's a whole nother series. See, some of y'all, see, some, some of y'all didn't even recognize that, uh, that, that, that we're going to reign. But, but I want to focus in, uh, queens, y'all had y'all day. Kings, is your day now. Now, this is going to go between a fatherhood message and a manhood message. In other, in, other, in, other word, in other words, in disciple making, there is, in a way, where you being sanctified to be a king. That should have made you happy. As, as a man, God has created you to be a ruler. And, and one of the things that God told Adam, he was one of the first things he told him, you're going to, I want you to do what to the earth? Rule it. Because of Adam's sin, that all got de facto transferred to Satan. He's the prince and power of the air. Christ now, comes, Christ now comes on the scene to recapture the Davidic throne on a functional basis to eternally reign in the already yet not yet where he's one day going to come rule. However, now we, we are called conquerors. In, in, in other words, there are ways in which now will we begin to conquer things. Now, I know some of y'all want to conquer business. Y'all want to conquer education. But I want to tell you the first place that needs conquering is not on the outside of you. But the place that needs conquering is on the inside of you. And you can't be king over anything outside of you until you learn how to be king over you. Help me today. Now, what I mean by that is I'm not talking about you replacing God. I'm talking about you being a king under the king of kings. Notice it says king of kings. It does, God doesn't mind kings just as they know that they're not the king. Help me today. And so, and, so, and so we come to a passage where a king is teaching a king. We come to a passage where the, 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 David, who the throne ultimately that Jesus Christ is sitting on and will sit on in the kingdom is named after David, a sinner. We come to a passage where there's been a lot going on in 1st and 2nd Samuel, and now we've come to the point, and in 1st Chronicles, and now we come to the point now where David is going to begin to feel the weight of his life and all the weight that he fell in his life, he is going to summarize last instructions to his son on his deathbed. And, and, 
and, and, and, these, and these messages, I would say, uh, aren't just for monarchs, but also sub-monarchs like us. Because I think in our society and our culture, we need to upgrade the progress of men instead of beating them up. We have too many Facebook posts that destroy men. I saw one going around last week that was not helpful, ladies, that painted a broad stroke of particularly black men in a way that's substandard of what you would want to promote. Now, y'all get mad at me. I don't care. It's Men's Sunday this Sunday. You know, y'all love it when I get, get at the men, women, you know, get at the men, and you know, amen. And so we need to stop promoting a false narrative about all men. Now today we want to biblically be influenced by a biblical narrative. This biblical narrative brings me to my first point, first point only, and I'm out your way. If we're going to see, understand what things kings need to hear, the first thing is kings need training and clear direction, direction from godly, godly, godly seasoned men. Kings need training and direction from godly, seasoned men. David starts off the verse saying, it says, as the time approached for David to die, uh, he ordered his son Solomon. Now, and you're looking at the idea of him approaching the time to die, that, that focuses on the fact that he had a hefty life and narrative. You can't, uh, we can't imagine what it's like for possibly 80 to 90 year old David who became king in his late 30s, early 40s or mid 40s. It's, it, it's sort of, and, and, and coming to this point where he is having to talk to his son about a mantle that he's gonna hand off to him. Every man needs to feel like something's being handed to him. The reason why many men don't feel the weight of manhood because no one has ever handed them anything. And in order for a man to be a man that God wants him to be, he has to feel the weight of a legacy being placed in his lap that he didn't start from scratch as a pioneer, but he's carrying on something as a reflection of what God blessed to come before him. And so when we come here to this passage and we see the glory and beauty of the Davidic rulership, I want to give you some, point, some bullet points about David's life that influence the way this text is coming out. Can I do that real quick? And so, so number one, in David's mind, you can see him in his varicose veins sitting on his fur bed made of some type of nice, I don't know if it's ivory, come from Egypt or, you know, sub-Saharan Africa and it's made of ivory and he got handmaids and servants all around him and he's varicose up OG in the bed with a fur, fur bed pillow sitting up like this because they didn't have the auto beds. They tucked the pillows under him real nice and... And, and, and his son come in, and, and, and you got to understand, David's probably in a lot of physical pain because he's fought a lot of battles where he's been hit and he's had to hit others. He's been hit in the shield. And you can imagine if a lineman, a defensive or offensive lineman goes through a lot of physical challenges in their latter years, imagine a guy that fought battle after battle. He wasn't the type of king that sat on his horse and looked out and watched other people fight. He was man enough to dismount his horse and go into battle himself. It's, it, 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 nobody wants to follow a king that just tells other people what to do. People want to follow a king that'll get 
get off his horse every now and then and go out into the battle and take some hits and put his life in danger because you can't tell anyone to do anything as a king that you're not willing to do yourself. And so he comes and as he gets into it and as he begins to dig in and dive in, David, you feel the weight that David has seen and experienced a lot in life. The first thing you feel is, 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 is a man, when he calls his son to him, he should be being called to a narrative, not just to a person. He should be being called to a history of things that that person has experienced. Not just being called to a person, but look, not only that, he has been up and he's been down. I can tell you that. Know what I like about David? He was emotionally in touch with himself. <laughs> How do I know that? Because when you let, let me just frame this. Y'all struggle with me, right? Uh, in the Psalms, you hear him knowing how to make himself emotionally available to God. I wish I had time. That's a whole sermon by itself. In other words, a healthy man doesn't ignore his downs. He looks up when he's down. So in light of that reality, you see the Psalms letting you know that he's a complex being. I mean, David was an intellect. He's a theologian. He's an artist. He's a helpless romantic. Lady's like, oh my goodness, I like that. All that, all that right there, I need to write that on my list, amen. Do it, nothing wrong with it. But, but you see that he learned how to be up and he learned how to be down and went through challenges. And one of the things that you see in his life is he learned how to press into God. Not only that, not only that, because I'm gonna come back to that. He experienced loneliness as a man. When God has a call on your life, I wish I had, oh God, help me. When God has a call on your life, you're gonna experience loneliness. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David was nowhere near, he was near being king, but he was going through a difficult trial. And at that point, all his boys fell out with him. And the Bible says he had nobody to holler at. And the Bible says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So let me tell you this, sometimes as a man, when nobody will answer the phone, when nobody will respond to your DMs, when nobody will respond to your text messages, every now and then you need to press into God to find strength and strength in him alone. There's sometimes you don't realize that you're alone and you're frustrated and you have nobody pouring into you. Don't complain to man, go before God. And so David strengthened himself. When you spend time with God, it's almost like you, you had a up, uploading of spiritual juice that pumps nutrients into your soul in, in ways that you would never imagine just because you touched heaven and heaven touched you back. Help me, God. And, and then he has conquered a giant and he's fought a lot of armies. Listen, man, I'm going to come back to this later when we talk about courage. There's going to be a lot of stuff he's going to fight. He, he, he's bringing all of this to the table with his son. But one of the other things I like about David is even though he, was, he experienced loneliness, he knew how to develop relationships. Stay with me, please. 1 Samuel 18.1 says, Him and David, David and Jonathan, became as one soul. You need a few good men. Amen. You, you, listen, don't have a crowd and an entourage. You need just a few godly ace booms that you can roll with. 
and 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 and, and you and and, and 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 I like David's relationship with Jonathan. I, I, I'm just painting a picture of the man's life so you can see what he's about to say to his son, so you can see the depth of what he's saying to his son and where it comes from. Um, 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 so he had godly friendships. He put the right people around himself. A king has the right people in his court. Ooh, that was gold. That was gold. You better know when you're hearing gold. Uh, next one. Next one. He has failed and caused a ton of sin in his past and experienced a lot of consequences of his sin. Look. His family and those he led paid dearly for his sins. Look, number one, David was a liar, 2 Samuel 11. Number two, David was an adulterer, 2 Samuel 11. David was a murderer, number three. But David also was prideful because he numbered the people so that he could feel his strength in numbers versus the Lord. So he was a liar, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer, and he was prideful. Now, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. But know what I like about David? Is David didn't let his past sin get in the way of him feeling like he lost his moral authority to be a king. Oh, help me. In other words, when God redeems you from your mess, your worst mess is redeemable by God. David lied, he murdered, he did all of these different things and God says, you deserve death for this. Your sin has been taken away from you, but there are gonna be consequences. Most men, when they blow it, withdraw because they feel like they're no longer worthy in their moral authority to invest. But the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. That's weird. Even after he sinned is when the statement was made again by God to Solomon in the, a few chapters from here. God said, I'm, when he was going to get David as a king, he said, I found a man who's after my heart. Now, let me explain something to you, the biblical ideology of what it means to be a man after God's own heart. First off, it means that you're not perfect. See, 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 now, 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 now most people think it's impossible for him to be a man after God's own heart because if he's a sinner, right? No. What, what being after God's own heart means is that even when you sin, you don't withdraw in totality away from God. Somebody need to hear me today. But, but you receive as a man the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And as you begin to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you respond to that conviction by honoring God, by being honest about your sin and confessing it to God and trusting him to help you to turn away from your sin and turn back to him. Listen, a perfect, a man that's after God's own heart is a man that doesn't let his sin drive him away from God, but use it as an opportunity to move closer to God. That's what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Because you would think, how in the world David going to tell somebody else to be a king in the midst of his failure? In every failure, there's a godly lesson. The call of a king is to learn it. You got to learn from your mistakes, not repeat them. <laughs> you, you have to learn from and, 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 so, and, so, and, so, and so David does this and this. Now, I have so many other points, on that, but we're going to go to verse 2. Verse 2. Look what it says. It says, as for me, 
I'm going the way of all the earth. I like that. Know why? Because David's telling his son, there's an expiration date on your time to maximize your journey. <laughs> you, you need to know, and I, li I like this, that Pops tell him, first thing he tell him is you're gonna die one day too. That's really what he's telling him. And so, so in light of that reality, Pops is letting him know, as great as you think I am, it's my end time. Now it's your time to take up the baton but you have to recognize that your day will come. That's why the Bible teaches us to number our days. In other words, recognize that you ain't going to live forever. So you can't postpone change to tomorrow. You got to embrace change today. Not only that, when he talks about I'm going the way of all the earth, he's telling them to make, make the most of your life for God. Make the most of your life for God. Every moment is a time of glorification. Not of self, but of him. And, that, and then... You will be taking this journey one day yourself. Then he tells him, be strong. Somebody say, be strong. be strong. I like that. I like that. He tells him, be strong. Now, this is interesting because you can just do a series on the, on the phrase, be strong. Now, it's interesting here um, that, 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 that as he's telling him to be strong, be strong means to have the ability to accomplish what is intended. Not only that, it implies an element of resolve is needed as well. In other words, you got to come to resolve that the thing is going to be accomplished. Being strong and having a resolve doesn't mean that you know what you're doing all the time. <laughs> Being strong is confidence that God will be with you as you do what you're called to do. Listen, most times as a king, you're going to be inadequate in your feeling about what God has commanded you to do. Inadequacy is a good feeling if you use it right. Inadequacy is the mechanism I believe God has placed in us as a way to know that we need his help to get done what we think we can do on our own. That's what inadequacy is. Inadequacy is never a time to run, it's actually a time to be more dependent. So when God tells you to be strong, he's actually telling you lean into me, not muster yourself up in a self-made pep rally to do what you can only do through me. So when he says, be strong, be strong in the Old Testament, context as a phrase, is a phrase of taking a mantle of leadership. Somebody say leadership. You as a man, and based on this text, be strong points to the fact that you're about to take on a mantle of leadership. Every man has a mantle of leadership on his shoulders. And that mantle of leadership is an expectation that means that you are going to press into your responsibility, not run away from your responsibility. And in pressing into the reality of that responsibility, usually in the context of be strong, it usually says right after it, and take courage. Like in Joshua chapter one and in Judges chapter six, you have over here Joshua, over here you have Gideon. God usually says, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. That this is the cliff notes ideology of what David is telling his son as the first imperative in the text. Courage is usually connected to being strong. And in light of that reality is also a, a phrase of courage in the midst of conflict, particularly when a battle is on the horizon. Whenever you're going to enter a battle, you need somebody who's a sage in your life to know 
that there are seasons of life. As a matter of fact, and you need a sage to give you kind of oversight, seasonal direction as a kingly sage to talk to you about the seasons that you're going to enter into. And one of, one of my sages, Dr. Crawford Loritz, um, he told me when I was turning 40, he says, is it Eric? He says, when you turn, he said, you're about to hit the dividend years. I was like, really? I like that. The dividend years. He said, if a man has maximized his manhood from 20 to 39, at 40, you hit the dividend years. I said, That's, that, that sounds fly. He said, now the dividend years are the years where you get to benefit off of all that you've built and developed as a man from 20 to 39. He said, the problem with 40 to 60 is many men hit the dividend years and stop growing. He says, because you have mastered a few things in your life, you stop growing. He says, therefore, during that season of great strength is usually a man's greatest seasons of failure. Morally, because he gets comfortable. And, and so when we talk about this reality of needing to say, you need somebody that can give over. So somebody said, I ain't got that. You need to go seek it. Find it for yourself. And then I believe, and I'm trusting, that even though this generation may not have as many sages as they'd like to have, I'm praying that God would pioneer your kingly phase in life and work you through yours so that you could be that for somebody else. And um, when we talk about being strong, the idea is also points here to reject passivity. <laughs> okay, ain't nobody saying amen on that part. That's okay. Uh, the tendency of a man in many ways is to be passive. And in light of that reality, he's telling this. Let me see if I can make a point. I, every house we've had, I, have, I, I got me a man cave. I got me, have to have me an area with a nice fluffy couch, soft little, you know, velvet, not velvet, I, ain't, I can't afford that, um, little microfiber. You understand what I'm saying? Microfiber, using an ottoman, somewhere to put my leg up, you know what I'm saying? Gotta have me a nice size TV. Gotta have a love in there. Gotta have some healthy snacks, you know, you know what I'm saying? Understand what I'm saying? And, and that place can be a good place and a bad place at the same time. Because the man cave can be a place of passivity. Ain't nobody gonna talk back. In other words, the, it, it can be a place that when I get home, I feel like because I've worked hard, I deserve not to engage my home. Okay, in, in, other, in, other, in other words, if my wife has been dog tired from the day and the kids are going crazy, I, I need her to give me incubator time to be able to deal with my house. Biblical manhood gets himself prepared in the driveway or in the parking space or walking home from the L or the sub. And what, and, what, and what you do is you got to get yourself right so that when you hit the door, you become an asset, not a liability. And that means you got to key into your children and engage your children. See, kings engage, not retreat. Now, you can have your time in the man cave after everybody go to bed, but you have to engage in the prime time of your home so that your kids can hear from you, so that you can be emotionally available, so that you can see what's going on. And yes, you have to hear about everybody's day. If you're going to be a king, you have to have a court. And if you have a court, 
you're going to have to let your loyal subjects come in and tell you all about what's going on with them. Everybody want to sit on the throne, but nobody want to use the throne. See, see, it's, 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 see, kingliness to most of us is a sexy position, but not a provoking practice. We, we, we have to begin to, we have to be willing to, 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 to hear. Listen, you can't suck your teeth when your wife asks you how your day was. A king tells her in very minute detail every point of the day because a king understands his subjects. And guess what he does? He understands that he needs to suck it up and tell her every detail that he doesn't want to relive even though he's had a hard day because a king knows that you want your subjects on the same page as you that's what God does with you he tells you stuff all the time because he wants you on the same page with him so you, you got to reject passivity and but also in being strong as a king you must face conflict and don't run from it help me God you got, you got to deal with conflict. You can't expect to go in the cave and think that it, somebody's going to fix it when you come out of the cave because you don't feel like dealing with it. You can't complain all the time about how much weight on you. That's what kings have. Your life was meant to be heavy. Help me today. Your life was meant to be filled with responsibility. Your life was meant to be filled with challenges. You're, because the Bible says, the reason why is because God empowered you. That's why the Bible says we're more than a conqueror through him. So that means, that means your life, Christ's yoke is easy, his burden is light. And, and, and in doing that and walking in that, you're meant to feel the finances. Even if you can't detailedly do them. You need to look at the finances and see them. You need to see the debt. You don't run from it and just keep doing stuff. You look into what's going on with your wife. If you have different children, you look at, I don't care if you made mistakes, you got baby mom, I don't care about none of that. You look and you engage every last one of them that you can, that you can, that you can, and challenge yourself to the glory of God to be engaged and pray for breakthroughs in their life. Pray for challenges to come off of them so that you can have specific ways that you're praying for them and encouraging them to the glory of Jesus Christ. Next though, I, I like this last statement that he says to him. He's after, well imperative ain't the last statement. <laughs> he says, be strong. Then he says the weirdest statement on the world, be a man. <laughs> be a man. Now, in order to tell someone to be a man, you have to have had taught them how to be one. Many times, we're asking people to grow up who we haven't taught how to grow up. Many of us are enabling people that we need to be releasing to God's care for them to grow up. A man can never become a king if you do everything for him. <laughs> In, in other words, the, the, the idea in the Bible, there's no such thing in the Bible as adolescence. Yeah. I remember I was a psychology major, I had to do my, my, my seminar paper on this ideology of the Western philosophy of adolescence, 
What's interesting, though, in the Bible, there is no incubator period in between childhood and adulthood where you get to meander in whether or not you're ready to be an adult and be like a child but functionally be given access to another stage of life because of puberty yet lacking the maturity to just move on to maturity. See, in the Bible, the Bible says, when I was a child, I acted like a child, I did it. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So in light of that reality, we, we have to affirm that reality. What I like about this is every man needs a point. Every king needs a point where they're told they're a man and a king. That's key. See, most men have never been told by their father or a spiritual father or a mentor or a leader, you're a man now. You're a man. You're a man. It, outside of the realm of discipline and frustration, they need to hear that they're a man. Because many times we tell kids or, 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 or ones we're taking, you're a man now because we're frustrated with them versus as a trajectory of purposeful preparation for them to be an adult. You, at some point, you got to put a mantle on a young boy and say, it's time to be a man. Um, NASB and ESV translates to show yourself a man. It's beautiful here. One of the things I like about David, though, is even in calling his son a man, he knew what phases of manhood he was in. In, 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 in 2 Chronicles 22, 5, it says, David, in front of the whole congregation of Israel, when his son was about to come king, he said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. I was like, dang. He said that to the whole church. <laughs> My son can't lead this. He's not ready. But he's about to get a mantle that he's going to need grace to move into. Oh, that's so good. See, you can't put a man in a manhood role and be frustrated with the man he is in stage one of manhood. He's now adjusting and going through the changes and the challenges of what it needs to be a man. That's why you got to stay on the back of men in early manhood development because they need hypersensitivity and engagement because they usually, one psychologist said, men don't feel long-term consequences until they're 25 years old. So when you tell your child they're a man in their teen years, you have to stay on them about short-term consequences because they don't feel long-term consequences as a reality until they're at least 25 years old. So if that's true, that means in that phase of manhood, we have to do one thing in particular. But what I like about this passage, uh, about the, the Second Chronicles passage, is that Solomon, in the next chapter after his dad dies, goes before God about what his dad told him. His dad told him he was young and experienced. He feels the weight of the kingdom on his shoulders. And he, instead of, oh man, they always talking about me. Oh man, they, I feel so bad. He didn't do that. He didn't punk out. He, he, he did this. He says, Lord, my God. Guess what he did? He was knowledgeable enough to absorb the reality of the critique by the king so that he, in turn, could deal with it. See, real men know what we do. We're not ignorant of our weaknesses. We embrace them in order to take them to God for help with them. Look what Solomon says in 2 Kings 3, 7. It says, Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father's place. 
He says, yet I am a youth and have no experience in leadership. I like that. Know why? Know why that's important? He was self-aware of what phase of manhood he was in. And most men in our society, we have to be uh, experiencing that reality. And we, and we need, and that's a part of the affirmation that we have from our fathers or men in our life. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus had the same type of affirmation put on him, but different. Um, at Jesus' baptism, do you know that what God said from heaven was for Jesus and not for the people around? In the end of Matthew 3, it says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. To everybody else, they said, what's that, thunder? If nobody else heard it and Jesus heard it, guess who it was for? In Jesus' humanity, he needed the affirmation of his father. Even at the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, you know, putting his foot in his mouth, hey, Lord, this is great for us to be here. You're talking to Elijah. You're talking to Moses. This is like a star-studded cash, you and them. Man, we need to make three tabernacles, you know, take a selfie of this mug, man, and make sure we let everybody know, you know, you equal with Moses and you equal with Elijah. That's basically what we're saying. And God the Father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I like that. That God distinguishes his son from everybody else. That's a beautiful affirmation of God, the Father of God, the Son. Verse 3, it says, keep your obligation to the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, decrees. I like this. In other words, he tells them you have an obligation to the Lord. Number two, he says, walk with him, walk in his behavior and keep. Somebody say keep. He tells them to keep his statutes. <laughs> he tells them to keep his commands. He tells them to keep his ordinances. And he tells them to keep his decrees. He tells them to keep his statutes. He tells them to keep his commands. He tells them to keep his ordinances. He tells them to keep his decrees. This is what I like. Statutes is what God has prescribed for your life. The things that are non-negotiables. <laughs> you got to know those. Commands, God's authoritative directives. I love it. Next, ordinances is God's guidance for what is right and wrong. A king knows what's right and wrong. But then finally, decrees, God's covenant statements. In other words, he's calling him to live in light of God's big picture decrees so that his life doesn't come against them but flows under them. I love this. And he says, so that you will have success in everything you do wherever you go. Success here means prosperity. Somebody say prosperity. Biblical prosperity is more about fruitfulness that comes out of God's promises versus finances that come out of your greed. And so, so when we look at this idea, it, it, it's now, but we see that Solomon failed. <laughs> Solomon failed. He served God with half a heart. But God never puts legacy on the shoulders of finite people. Because in order for the kingliness of David's line to continue, there had to be somebody that was a better king than these kings to make sure that more kings were created through the one king. And so God knew that, 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 that he had to send uh, uh, the ultimate king who was going to ultimately sit on this throne and ultimately bring about change in everything. And this king is so beastly that he became a human being. 
This king was so great that he died on the cross for our sins. This king was so great that he got up from the grave with all power in his hand. This king is so great that he ascended into heaven and surfed on a cloud back to heaven and dismounted the cloud and sat at the right hand of power where he's ruling, where he's ruling with all power and with all might. And one day he's going to come back as that king and he's going to get on his horse and he's going to have a myriad of people with him and they're going to come down to earth from heaven and when they come down to earth from heaven this king is going to dismount his horse like a real king does and he's going to go to war with his enemies because a real king listen never tells you to do something that a king he's not willing to do himself he's so powerful and he's so great as the king is that he'll fight battles that nobody else is able to fight he'll take care of enemies that nobody else can take care of he can take care of stuff that he can that's why they call him the key of David that means he unlocks all of the promises of God and distributes it to his kingdom subjects and then he's going to throw hell away then he's going to throw death away then he's going to throw Satan away and then we're all going to be robed like God wants us to be robed and he's going to distribute gifts he's going to distribute kingdoms and we're going to live forever under the rule of the king of kings and the Lord of Lords in First Corinthians says he's going to hand, he's going to take his crown off. But first, we'll throw our crowns at him. He'll, he'll unify our crowns and put it on his head. He'll, he'll wear it like a fitted for a thousand years. <laughs> then after a thousand years, First Corinthians 15 said he's going to hand his crown over to God the Father. And he'll be a king with God and will be kings and queens that rule and reign with Jesus forever. So if you're going to rule, start ruling now. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you that you are king of kings. <clears throat> you are king of kings. And God, we honor you and thank you for the blessing of your mercy and the blessing of your grace. Thank you for being the ultimate king that encourages us as subjects who will rule with you one day. Maybe you're here today and you know your life is unruly because of sin. And you've never placed your confidence in the king who died on the cross for your sins. And on the third day, got up from the grave with all power in his hand. Guess why? To bring you into a relationship with him. You know, earlier, we talked about adoption. And adoption actually is more legally binding in biblical culture than children you have biologically because your children biologically came to you biologically but those kids who you've adopted needed legal protection that they would never be abandoned and so you could never divorce your adopted children God uses that same ideology as a principle for his adopting of us the difference though in God adopting us 
is Christ gives us a new blood type. He not only adopts us on paper, he adopts our souls to be changed in our spiritual DNA to reflect who he is, which makes a biblical adoption such a beautiful principle for those of us who know him. Those of us who know him have been adopted, brought into the family. God wants to adopt you today, call you his. You're his generally, but you're not his relationally. If you don't know Jesus, if you're here today and you want to become relationally his, that means being related to God. You're, you, are no, you are not in God's family if you don't know Jesus. If you're here today and you want to put your confidence in Jesus Christ, hold your hand way up in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. You want to join his family today? I see that hand, brother. I see that hand, brother. Yeah. Anybody else? That's a bold statement. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Anybody else? There's nothing to, every head bow, every eye close. Anybody else say, I want to be adopted into God's family. I want to be adopted. I want to be brought in. I want to be bound to God forever. Is there anyone else? Hold your hand up real high. Best decision you can make in your life. If you're not sure you're in a relationship with God, you may come to church, you may be spiritual, but that's not being in a relationship with God. Being in a relationship with God is trusting what Jesus has done for you and giving you brand new life and family and relationship in him. Is that you today? Anyone today? Anyone else? Well, young man, you've made the best decision of your life. You made the best decision of your life to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Father, I just pray for this one. I know heaven rejoices when there's just one. God, touch him and lead him and strengthen him as he's made a profession of faith. Make it a practical, positional, and eternal reality. We honor you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Let's give God a hand. Praise for his work. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Fellas, y'all, come on. Let's celebrate our king. <laughs> Let's celebrate our ruler. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.